0: are in a series we're talking about how it is we root our lives in Christ. We're really talking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and and how that rootedness produces, produces the fruitedness of the Spirit. This study comes from an experience that our staff and elders and some of those in the leadership community had this last year and it's an experience that we're hoping to share with the entire congregation. It's an experience that I study and so we can only provide uh, enough space, spots for 200 people at a time. It's very unique. So I you to know that so you can begin to prepare yourself for that opportunity, and we hope to have one in the fall, maybe two, uh, and then another in the spring. Uh, this, is, this has been a glorious time for us. These truths are fundamental, but they have a way of framing everything else. Today what I, I want us to talk about, what we're going to see in the Scripture, is how a disciple of Jesus, uh, looks to God's Word as the ultimate and final authority. Uh, We are defined by this Word. This Word defines our faith and therefore it defines us. Now, it's important to realize that every human being on this planet has a source of authority that drives their decision-making and thinking. Uh, There are those who would say that that their feelings define their reality. What they feel uh, is their truth, and so that's what's going to drive them. There are some who, who have a mindset or an idea about themselves, and, and so they choose an identification, identify as X, Y, or Z. And it's that truth claim that they are making that defines everything else about their existence. There are those who look to feelings. There are those who look to ideas. And, and those, those really... Uh, what defines and enables them to see the world the way they do and make choices that they make. Beyond that, beyond the individual, there's also a a cultural norm that is being pressed upon us, and there are some who aren't saying, I have my own ideas, my own feelings, my own lifestyle. There are those who are saying, you know, I'm just going to go with what society says is normal, what society says is acceptable, and so they look to entertainment. And when I say entertainment, please understand I'm talking more than just about music and, and video and movies. I'm also talking about the news. There is no longer news as it once was, it's now entertainment. Please understand what was it being called news now is just an entertainment source, it sells advertising, it's a business. Be careful what you're listening to. And understand that there are those who are being driven by what culture says is norm. It may be a movie. It may be a secular song. It may be a TV show. It may be a character. It may be a news channel that says, this is this is the final authority of truth for me, and this is how I'm going to look at the entire world. Beyond that, there are, there are also those who would pull back and say, no, 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 it's not about how I feel. It's not about an identity I've chosen for myself or or a lifestyle, it's, it's, it's not what society is saying. I'm beyond that. It's a philosophy. It's an ideology. It's an institution with a creed. I was a participant in a funeral for someone recently, and the Bible wasn't read. Instead, a creed from their fraternity was quoted. And it was taught and explained that this individual had lived by this fraternity's creed. It was the authority. It was the truth. Uh, that, that this person sought to see everything else through and to pursue with their one and only life. Disciples of Jesus Christ are rooted in and live by God's Word. The Bible is our truth. And this truth drives the way we see everything and drives our choices. What we see in our story today in the text is a narrative of the authority of God's Word. What we see in the epistle that we're going to read is the theological statement of God's Word. So remember, when we're doing this series, every sermon, there's going to be a theological substance that we're going to look at from the epistle of Peter. Then we're going to look at a story, a narrative from Peter's life. Let's let's read that narrative. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, go to Matthew 14. And In Matthew 14, we find a well-known story uh, about Peter and Jesus and the word, uh, the command, God's word that commanded Peter to do something miraculous, something crazy. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Bella's going to read for us, Matthew chapter 14, she's going to begin in verse 22 and go through verse 32. Go ahead, girl.
1: Immediately he made the disciples get onto the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. The the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves from the wind against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked onto the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Gibbs immediately reached out his hand and took out a hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you little of faith, why did you doubt? And when they got on the boat, the wind ceased.
0: The grass withers and the power fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Maybe say the thank you, Bella. Remember Peter, blue collar guy. not a theologian, he's not a philosopher, he's a very practical man someone who experienced someone, Jesus, changed everything about his life. And so when the word was spoken to him by the word become flesh, he obeyed. It's very simple for Peter. Writing to the early church who was under persecution, Peter said something significant about the word, something that we believe here. Um, to hold your finger in, in Matthew 14, go with me now to Peter's epistle, his first epistle, 1 Peter 1. And I want you to see the, the doctrine behind the command, the doctrine behind the, the Word. Why, why would a disciple of Jesus uh, be compelled to live under the authority of the Word of God? We read in 1 Peter, uh, beginning in verse 24, something I just quoted, For all flesh is like grass, and all is fully like the flower, flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Interesting. Uh, while I was sick, I determined that I was no longer going to uh, quote the blessing of God's word. Thanks be to God. The word of God. Thanks be to God. But instead, begin to quote this text, First uh, Peter, uh, chapter one, verse twenty-four. I forgot that we were actually using this. I was I was actually studying at the time Isaiah forty. This is actually a quotation of Isaiah forty, verse eight. And this scripture tells us what we believe here as members of the Living Hope, and I want to encourage you to write this down to remember it. God's word is the only sufficient, inerrant, infallible source for understanding all things pertaining to life, saving faith, and the reality of God. That's what first Peter one twenty four through twenty five says. It's what it explains. It's again one of the proof texts that we use as a congregation for our statement of faith. As Members of this family, and if you're not a member of this family, we're glad you're here. You're a friend of our family. But as members of the family, we have made a commitment to live our lives in view of some fundamental doctrinal truths. We have what they call articles of faith. This is the first and the most fundamental article of our faith, and I read it for you. God's word is without error in the original manuscripts, worthy of our trust, sufficient for explaining salvation, and authoritative for faith and life. Scripture is a testimony to Christ, who is the focus of divine revelation. We know that the Bible is not a collection of stories of sayings; it's a single story that explains the creation, what's wrong with the world, the fall, the rescue of Jesus Christ and His one-day return, and the restoration. When we read the Bible, what we are looking for is an understanding of who God is. Who we are, what's wrong with the world, and how we as disciples of Jesus are to live in this fallen world, in fallen flesh, being pursued by a horde of demonic people or or creatures that hate us. They're not people, they're creatures and they hate us. And they have power, but not more power than our Lord Jesus. When we read the Bible, what we find as disciples of Jesus Christ is that we're not so much reading the Bible as the Bible is reading us. The Bible is like a mirror. We look at it, and it shows us what is wrong. It shows us what needs to be changed. And then we choose. We choose to obey. We choose to have our lives match what is written in the Word of God. See, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, your lifestyle will match the Word of God. The Word of God will define for you what is true, and, and you will repent. You will recognize my life doesn't match what this says. So I'm wrong. God's right. His word is true. Therefore, I will make the change so that I match what God's word says. Something wonderful is happening this morning for me personally. My shoes match. Now I know many of you think that's a small thing, but that is quite a feat for for, for a guy like me. See, yeah, I got I got one of these shoes a few weeks ago that I'm wearing right now, and uh, I didn't wear them for a while. I don't know why, but I didn't wear them until Easter, and, and I, I stood up on the stage. There were 4,000. Many of you were there, and I preached, and no one seemed to notice that my shoes did not match. It wasn't until a couple of weeks ago when I was about to perform weddings at the rehearsal dinner, all the guys were laughing, and finally one of them said, Pastor Jason, do you realize that your shoes don't match? And I said, what? And I looked down, and sure enough, same brand, same color, different design. I will never live it down. That's why I'm telling you all now. So I, I went to the store where I bought the shoes, and I took the shoes in, and I laid them on the counter, and there were two guys there, and I said, guys, what do you see here? And because they are guys, they didn't notice they just looked and looked. I said, "What do you see?" You know, well, it's the same brand. I said, "Oh, it's a different design." I said, "Now that we've diagnosed the problem, let's fix it. Let's do this. Let's get after this." And so they found the, the poor friend of this other shoe. And so now my shoes match.
1: Yay!
0: <laughs> now, why would I go into all that detail? Well. Just as your shoes are to match, so a disciple's life is to match the Word of God. Just as your shoes are to match, so a disciple's life is to match the Word of God. Now look, every Sunday it should not surprise you that you come in and you hear the, the God that we believe in praised and the Word of God taught and you discover, oh no. There's something about my lifestyle that does not match the Word of God. I need to exchange my lifestyle for God's Word, and I need to walk out of here matched my life with God's Word. That happens by the power of the Holy Spirit as a disciple of Jesus chooses to live under the authority of God's Word, to live by God's Word. That's what a disciple of Jesus does. Now, how do we do that? What does it look like? That's what we see in our narrative. Go back now to, to, uh, to Matthew chapter 14. Let's look and see what, what, it, what, what was going on with Peter, what's going to be going on with us as disciples of Jesus Christ, how we can be rooted in and live by God's word. The first thing I want you to notice is we've got to take heart in Jesus. We've got to take heart in Jesus. I love what Jesus says there in verse 27, take heart. But even before that, there's a lot I want to, I want to show you. See, when you, when you take heart in Jesus, you, there's a lot going on. First of all, you, you know that, that you are being sent where he wants you to be. Some of you are discouraged with where you are in life today. But I want to tell you, that where you are is not an accident. And and unless you have sinned and you are now having to face the consequences of sin, which which may be the case, but even in that, the Lord will get you where he wants you. If you are walking faithfully with the Lord, you are where he wants you to be. Look what happened in verse 22. God sent two, uh, two groups of people into two different directions. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. One group he sent to the other side by way of the lake in a boat. The other, he dismissed, and he sent them home. God sends you where he wants you. Take heart. Jesus knows where you need to be. Take heart. Jesus is going to reveal to you where you you need to be. He will command you where to go. And when he does that, understand he's going to intercede for you. Look at verses 23 and 24. This should comfort your heart today. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the uh, up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat, by this time, was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Understand, if you are going to live where God sends you to be, there's going to be challenges. The waves will come against you. The ways of societal north, the waves of this world are going to come and beat up against you. Listen, don't think that because you're walking and being faithful to Jesus that that means your life's going to be easy. Scripture seems to indicate it will be anything but easy. Because the world hates Jesus, and Jesus said, as they hated me, they're going to hate you. Don't be surprised by that. So understand, when you're walking in the will of God and going where He has sent you to be, there's going to be those waves that come against you, but take heart. He's praying for you. He intercedes for you. That's a legal term. We read about that in Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than more than that, he was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. This is a legal term. It's a lawyer term. And what we know is that our flesh and the world and the devil is they're always making accusations against us. And Jesus is our He's interceding for He's our intercessor. And he's saying, no, I bought that one. By the power of the cross that we celebrated this morning, there is grace that my just demands are met, and they are now my children of God. And so when your flesh and the world and the devil condemns you, listen, don't deny it. Don't worry about it. Here's what, here's what I do. I look past what they're saying to Jesus and can easily say, I'm that and worse, but by the grace of God, I'm saved. And that new life is making all the difference in me. We have an intercessor. Hebrews chapter 7 says the same thing. Verse 25, Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. The Lord God knows what you need. He's praying for you. He's interceding for you. He is your your legal hope with the Father. And so you can come in His name and the power of the Spirit and and He will provide. He, He take heart he sent you where He wants you. He's sending you where He wants you. He's interceding for you. He's pursuing you. Look in verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, He came to them walking on the sea. He came to them. It's miraculous. Friends, here's what I have seen God do in so many different ways in my life and the lives of those who walk faithfully with Him. He shows up in the most amazing ways at the most amazing times. I mean, there's head's nodding all over right now, and I love it because the stories, that could be told this morning of the miracles when God showed up. He's never late, is he? On time, right there. Now, when he shows up, don't do something silly like what the disciples did. Look like what they did in verse 26. Don't make their mistake. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. When Jesus shows up, don't try to explain him away. When the miraculous takes place, don't call it a coincidence. Call it what it is, providence, the divine interaction of the Almighty in the real world, the sign of the cross, God coming down in real time and space to to work on behalf of His disciples. Give Him glory. Don't rob Him of glory by trying to explain it away. You know, I, I, the, the first week I was here, I, I told you plainly, I, I'm, I'm better. I'm doing well. Why? Because prayer works and medicine helps. Prayer works. Prayer works. I found out while I was sick, there was another individual who, who was sick as well. Same thing. In the hospital for 17 days, took the same medicine me. What was the difference? I don't pretend to know the science of it, but I do know I had thousands of people praying for me. It's a big difference. Give God grace. Give Him praise when He shows up. And, and be ready to acknowledge that He is there. Take heart because because He sent you. He intercedes for you. Take heart because He's pursuing you. He's you're going to be right there in the midst with you. It's mysterious. You can, don't try to explain it away. And you can do all that because you can know that He is God. Jesus Christ Christ, is not an ideology. It's not a philosophy. He's not not a, a dead martyr. He's the living God. And He said so in this text. I want to show you something in verse 27. I'm not saying your Bible is wrong. I'm just saying I just want you to see what's in there. The translation's there. There's so many ways to translate words, and, and, and translators are always seeking to try to give us the very best explanation we can. But I want to show you what, in verse 27, just the original language, the way it's presented. It, we read it here in, in our Bible, uh, in, in verse 27, and Jesus says, take heart. Now, here's the phrase I want you to see differently. It says, it is I. And then he says, do not be afraid. Now, let me show you the original, okay? Uh, there's the tie. Take heart. But then I want to show you this. It doesn't say it is I exactly. Okay, in the original language, there's two words. Ego, I, I me, am. I am. Why is that significant? Well, he, uh, Exodus 34. Exodus 34, God's dealing with Moses. Moses says, who am I supposed to tell the people who sent me? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God has come. I am is God who was and is and is to come. He is. He is the existence. There was nothing before God. All things are made by him and sustained by him because he is God. He is the great I am. Jesus was making a theological statement in verse 27. Go back to the, and this is why southerners get the Bible. Because we translate it right. Take heart. I am. Y'all don't be afraid. <laughs> Your translation Beth, says you, because the Northerner translated it, right? Y'all don't be afraid. Don't miss the point here. Jesus is claiming to be God, and he's saying, Take heart because I'm God. I sent you. I'm interceding for you. I'm there. I care for you. I know what's best for you. I am. Amen. Take heart in Jesus. Second thing, write it down. Obey the command of Jesus. Obey it. And be happy to do it. Understand that when we're saved, we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. We're, because of sin, the world is broken. In three circles, we explain this regularly. We understand that the only way that you can have a right relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. That relationship with God frees you to recover and pursue God's design, which only happens when you obey God. The only way you can obey God is if you know Jesus. And, And here's, again, an equation I try to give to you regularly. To know Jesus is to love Jesus. And to love Jesus is to obey Jesus. If you are not obeying Jesus, it's not because you don't have enough willpower. Write it down. It's because you don't have enough love power. If you you obey him, it's because you love him. And the only way you can love him is if you know him. Why why did Peter say, Lord, command me? Why was he so willing and able? Because he knew Jesus. He had been with the Lord. The Lord had called him out of of an old way of life into a new life. And this new life transformed everything about him. And so here he is. He's acknowledging that Jesus Jesus is God. So what does he say? He's saying, Lord, command me. Isaiah the prophet, when he was saved, he said something very similar in and, and Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. And he said, here I am, send me. Every disciple of Jesus Christ gladly obeys the command of God because of the love of God that is in their heart. Command me, Lord. Send me, Lord. Here I am. Is that your heart's desire? obey the command of Jesus see those who are rooted in and living by God's word this this is a natural outflow of their relationship with God now we got to be careful here because we are Americans and we are so confident in our abilities to handle problems and, and if we're honest many times the the last place we look is to Jesus I mean I think about a, a Christian cartoon I saw once where a uh, Someone was saying to a friend, well, I'm praying. I'm really praying. And the friend said, oh, no, it's come to that. Friends, it always comes to that. It needs to begin there. It needs to begin looking and focusing on Jesus. So write that down to be rooted in. To live by God's word, we must focus on Jesus. That's not what Peter did. Look in verse 30. What did he do? He's walking on water, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. What did he do? He took his eyes off Jesus. Jesus. Friends, if you take your eyes off Jesus and put them on your circumstance, your circumstance is going to seem bigger than it actually is. There's no one bigger than God. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And when you see Jesus, you will not be concerned about your circumstance. Here's what's happening. Everybody in this room has a challenge, has a circumstance. Maybe it's being parented. Maybe it's being a parent. Maybe it's... Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's a, an addiction. Uh, maybe it's a cancer. Maybe it's a health crisis. Uh, maybe it's your, the people that you, you care about, you're concerned. Maybe there are all these things, winds and waves all around us. And if you focus on those, you will be terrified by them. And your tendency is going to be try to swim it out on your own. Don't you do it? Get your eyes on Jesus. Focus on who he is, who he has revealed himself to be in in his word. Get your eyes on Jesus. Now, when you take your eyes off of Jesus, don't be surprised if you start to think. Humble yourself. When, When you take your eyes off of Jesus and you start to think, seek help from Jesus. Write that down. Be rooted in and live by God's word, we must seek help from Jesus. And beginning to seek, again the last verse 30, Lord, save me, he cried out. He he was quoting, whether you do it or not, Psalm 69. David, under his verse to the Holy Spirit, says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters, and the flood sweeps over me. This happens to us all. There's never a time when we're not going to be challenged in a way that demands that we have our eyes fixed on Jesus. And when we take our eyes off Jesus, we begin to sink in the circumstance, and it feels as though it's going to overwhelm us. Cry out to help. Cry out for help from Jesus. Now, when he helps you, humble yourself. And receive the instruction. He's going to give the correction. Write it down and, and understand. When we when we focus on Jesus, we, we stand strong. When we take our eyes off Jesus, we sink and so we have to seek help. And then once he helps us, he corrects us. He receives correction by Jesus. Look at verse 31. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Receive that instruction receive that that word from God. Be grateful for it. What does a parent do for a child that they love? Parents correct their children. What do friends do? They correct their friends. You messed up. Hey, how'd you do that? Don't do that. Stop doing that. Amen. This is what God does for us. Listen, don't be so proud.
1: Don't be so proud.
0: Receive God's correction. It comes as a part of His Word. When you seek Jesus, you're going to see that your life is not aligned with Him. You're going to see that your lifestyle doesn't match what His Word says. Repent. Ask for help. Go to the Lord. Let Him lift you up. And let Him correct you so that you can walk in His way, in His way of blessedness. And when that happens, do what the disciples did. Look in verse 32 and 33. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. What are we to do? We are to give glory and honor to Jesus. Every time the Bible shows someone getting a glimpse into heaven, here's what they always see. They see seraphs and saints crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. That's what Isaiah saw. That's what John saw. That's what God's people see when he allows them a glimpse into his heaven. He sees the seraphs and saints giving glory and honor to God, and that's what we're to do. Those who are rooted in and living by God's word, we acknowledge that our life doesn't match We repent. We choose to match our life with the commands of the Word. And we worship. So we're going to worship now. Would you stand with me? Father, you are worthy. Jesus, you have made it possible. Spirit, you have empowered. Lord, I know there are some right now who cannot worship you because they they stand in opposition to you because of their sin. And I pray that some right now would repent and believe in Jesus and be saved. So simple, Lord. It just requires humility. It requires the work of your Spirit. Would you right now enable some to repent and believe? God, there are some who are disciples of yours that are here right now. They're honest. They do not know your word well. They are not. They're not matched their lifestyle with your word, and they want to tell you that they're sorry, and they want to confess that, and they want to renew their commitment to you. And Lord, there's many of us today who just need, we're just saying, help. Help me, Lord. Help my children, help my grandchildren, help my friends. Help, Lord. Heal. Provide. Do a miracle. Lord, help. We're so grateful that we can come to you because you care for us, and you are God. And because of the cross, we have hope. Right there where you are. Do you need to receive Jesus? Receive Him right now. Repent, believe. Just tell Him, I'm wrong, you're right, forgive me, take my life. Dearest Disciple, exchange your lifestyle for the
1: truth of His Word. You need help, ask him.